Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Chopped Guillotine Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Harris, and with me today, we have a very new, very special guest. Our guest today is nobody. That's right. I tried very hard, but I just couldn't find anyone who was willing to follow up the excellent performance put on by Grant Himmelman in episode five. If you hadn't listened to episode five yet, I definitely recommend giving it a listen. Grant, my very good friend who works for the Milwaukee Brewers and is actually um, the first person who we've interviewed so far who works for a professional sports team. Uh, He gets on the show for a while and we talk about the absolute embarrassment of a season um, that he had in the guillotine league last year and what sort of conclusions you can draw from that so that you don't end up like Grant Himmelman. Uh, Today's episode is sponsored by the like button. If you or a loved one has access to a like button, please press it. It helps the show a lot. And that's the only bit I'll be shilling for you today. We're going to dive right into the Ultimate Draft Guide Part 1. So the Ultimate Draft Guide is a new series that we're going to be putting on the channel. Part 1, we're going to focus on strategies, tactics, and tips. The sort of upper-level stuff that you have to know going into your draft. And then for part two, we're going to be talking about the nitty gritty. We're going to be talking about individual players, what we think of them, where they belong on your draft board. But that's another episode for another time. Uh, That's probably coming out this Monday, if any of you are current listeners. Right now, we're going to get into five strategies, five tactics, and 10 tips for your guillotine draft. Now, the first thing you might be thinking, you might be thinking, Joe, you just said three complete synonyms, and I would say you're wrong. Strategies, tactics, and tips are all very similar, but there are key differences that make each of them important. A strategy, I'll be talking about this for just one second. A strategy is the roadmap of your draft, right? So you take your first couple of players and you go, oh, okay, I see what the build's looking like. I see where the strategy needs to go. And then you start to stick with that. A tactic and a tip, those are both very similar. A tip is just something that I tell you once, it makes sense, you listen to it, and you roll with it. A tactic is basically the same thing, except you don't listen. Um, It's really hard to listen to because it just goes against a lot of general fantasy rhetoric. So tactics are a little bit higher level, tips are a little bit lower level. And we'll be getting into both the tactics and the tips, don't you worry. But first, we're going to start with the strategies. Draft strategies are very important for anyone who's doing any sort of fantasy. Um, There's something that every fantasy player should definitely know. Um, But a lot of people tend to misuse draft strategies. You don't want to go into a fantasy draft committed to a strategy before you've made a single pick. That is not how you need to be using these very valuable and very helpful tools because that's going to hamstring you into taking certain players that maybe the board doesn't dictate that you need to take. A strategy should only be thought about and really implemented by the time you have picked your third player. You can't walk into a draft saying, I'm going to go with a zero RB approach. A zero RB approach is something that a lot of redraft managers talk about. Um, We'll be talking about it in context of a guillotine league 
in just a second. But the reason you don't want to commit to that right off the gun is if you're drift if you're drafting it the eighth or ninth pick and Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler are on the board, you shouldn't just avoid them because oh no, I I'm doing a zero RB. No. You need to adapt to what the board gives you and then form a strategy based on what it has already given you. So for that reason, we'll be going over five strategies so that you don't so that you don't feel like you have to be hamstringed by one. We're going to give you multiple options based on what the board gives you in those first three rounds. The first of that is going to be the zero RB strategy. It's infamous. Lots of people like to talk about it because of how not durable running backs are, how easily replaceable they are once they take injury. There's a lot of interesting rhetoric behind it. I definitely don't think it's a terrible strategy when you're talking about a normal redraft league. The problem that myself and other guillotine people have with this strategy in a guillotine league is you can't leave that many holes gaping wide open at your roster for two reasons one the person with the most holes in their roster is going to go home uh that's just the nature of the sport not the sport it's a game don't call it a sport that'd be lame um and two in a normal fantasy draft, you're looking at a draft with anywhere between nine other people and 11, maybe 13 other people. Either way, once all of those people have picked their two good running backs that they really like, you're still going to have your option of some low-tier starting running backs. The reason that this doesn't hold true in a guillotine league is because you're drafting against 17 other people. Right. Once 17 other people have taken two running backs, if you wait until that point to start taking your running backs, both of the running backs on your roster are not going to be, be starting running backs in the NFL. There are only 32 NFL teams, and if you let everyone else take running backs, they've taken 34 running backs before you've taken one. So not only are you taking two backup running backs, you're not even taking the two best backup running backs. Don't do it. But... Does it have a place? Maybe a tiny bit if everyone is snatching up the super good running backs really early because they're worried about position scarcity. In that case, it is okay. In that case, it's less about you committing to the strategy and more about, wow, I've got Justin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs on my team. You're not going out if you've got Justin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs on your team. No problems there. A modified and more modest approach to the zero RB strategy is called a hero RB strategy. This is something that I find myself doing in almost every one of my guillotine drafts and really a lot of my redraft leagues too. The idea is instead of saying that you're not going to take any running backs at all, you take one running back with one of your first three or four picks and you say, all right, this is my guy. You know, you've, you've got Christian McCaffrey, you were drafting from the three, you take Christian McCaffrey, and then you wait a full 100 picks to draft your next running back. This is a little bit more reasonable and way easier to manage in a guillotine league, because instead of having two gaping holes on your roster, you really only are going to have one, um, which is a very important strategy because you don't want to be trying to scramble to fill two positions at once often you'll never get either of them filled but when you have this hero running back the christian mccaffrey example 
you can have him fill a lot. He can fill the hold that you have at RB2 just based on the surplus points that he's scoring. He scores a lot. And, you know, if he goes down, you're probably going to go down with him. That's why he's your hero running back. Like, you live and die by how well and how healthy this guy is throughout the season. Um, it's become super easy to build around. You don't have to worry about drafting running backs throughout the middle rounds of the draft, which has historically been a kind of rough spot for running backs. Um, if you'll remember, what, two years ago in 2021 drafts, we were taking guys like Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin towards those middle rounds because that's just how positional scarcity works. Um, don't be the guy who drafts someone like Mike Davis or Miles Gaskin because of positional scarcity. Get your one guy to cover your roster holes. And if you're going to have a bad running back at RB2, guess what? As long as you made it past week one, whatever team is getting cut, odds are they're going to have a running back that you can find a way to work into your RB2 spot. That is why it's good to have only one gaping hole on your team. We'll get into that uh, in just a bit. Another strategy that is more specific for guillotine than it is for any other type of league is what I call the friends with benefits strategy. This is um, when you take two wide receivers that are on the same team. And in a normal redraft league, a lot of people tell you to avoid that. A lot of people say that's going to cap your upside. And you know what? They're kind of right. It kind of does cap your upside. It's really hard for Jamar Chase and T. Higgins to both have an incredible game. But it's also really hard for Jamar Chase and T. Higgins to both have a terrible game. If you go back and look at their game logs, every game they have played together, between the two of them, they score a minimum of 18 fantasy points per game in full PPR. That is really, really good. Having that guaranteed floor between two guys is something that you're not going to find hardly anywhere else. So, does it prevent you from having those crazy explosion weeks? Yeah, but that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for something that's consistent and something that can't blow up in your face. And it's not unique to just T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Like, I, I'll fully admit that I picked the best wide receiver duo probably in fantasy. But don't be afraid to do this with the Eagles guys. Don't be afraid to do this with the Chargers guys. There's loads of options out there that absolutely work because for your team to absolutely tank that passing offense has to basically produce nothing and in a modern nfl passing offenses very very rarely produce absolutely nothing the reason it's called the friends with benefit strategy and not just the friends on the same team strategy is because if one of those guys gets hurt don't get me wrong it's it's tough you absolutely never want it to happen. But all of the benefit of that injury goes to a player that you already have. In the event that A.J. Brown gets injured, Devonta Smith is going to be a top five wide receiver for the duration of A.J. Brown's time that he misses from injury. And if you have both of these guys on your team, not only do you have a very consistent, very solid floor week in and week out, but in the very unfortunate event that one of those guys goes down, 
it's not a complete dead loss for your team. You are recouping some upside, and that's really important. That is really hard to do. You don't find that anywhere else in fantasy football at all. The friends with benefit strategy is my absolute favorite draft strategy. I always want receivers that are on the same team because it's really, really hard to get eliminated when you have that floor. Another strategy that goes that you can use with the friends with benefit strategy is the greater late tight end strategy. Um, this is also one of my absolute all-time favorite draft strategies. The idea is this. Guys like Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews are elite producers. They are so far ahead of the pack above the replacement level guys that you find at the waiver wire that it's almost a cheat code. We, as fantasy drafters, tend to push up less deserving tight ends, looking at you, Kyle Pitts, um, in order to try and chase what Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews and guys like that in the past have given us. This, um, this is where the greater late tight end strategy really takes its philosophy. It's very similar to the zero RB philosophy of the running backs that get drafted in the mid rounds are usually kind of busts. Similarly, tight ends that are drafted in the mid rounds are usually kind of busts, especially because you're taking them over mid round guys that could absolutely explode. Guys who were going in that mid-round range last year are guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, Devonta Smith, a whole slew of running backs, including Ramondre Stevenson. And, you know, if you're taking Mike Gusecki there because he's a tight end, that's a pretty huge cap towards what your team can do. Because tight ends, they're not safe. They have low upside. We're only really drafting them right there because they're because they're a tight end. Don't get me wrong, the positional advantage that an elite tight end offers you is great. The advantage that a mid tight end offers you over a low tier tight end is negligible. It's really small. I, I've touched on this in the uh, players that Travis and I are targeting draft episode. That was episode four from about a month ago. Um, the difference between the projection for tight end two and tight end 12 is three times larger than the projections for, than the difference in projection between tight end 12 and tight end 24. Those elite guys are elite. They belong up there. Those middle tier guys are only up there because they're being dragged up by the upper tier guys. Don't fall for the market inefficiency. If you don't get one of your top, basically top two guys, because I'm not, I'm not a Hawkinson guy. We'll get into that in the Ultimate Draft Guide Part 2, why I'm not a Hawkinson guy. But if you're not getting one of those top-tier elite tight ends, the difference between the guy that you're taking in the 6th round and the guy that you're taking in the 12th round is basically nothing. Don't fall for it. The last strategy that I want to get into here, um, this is a very guillotine-specific strategy. I alluded to it when we were talking about the hero RB strategy. It's the one gaping hole. Like, there's no better way to put it. You just say, you know what? This part of my team is kind of going to suck at the draft, and you're just going to be okay with it. Um, I recommend that spot being, you know, either your RB2, your wide receiver three, your flex, something like that, where you just say, you know what? 
I'm going to prioritize making sure that my running backs are strong and I'm going to sacrifice some receiver. I'm going to make sure that my receivers are strong. I'm going to sacrifice some running back. And then I'm going to fill that hole later throughout the season, constantly off the waiver wire. The waiver wire is your friend. It is okay in a really deep league to have one gaping hole if you can shore up the rest of your team. Because everyone else in the league also has one, if not two, if not three, pretty big holes on their roster. If you're going to draft in a way where it's like, okay, I've got to make sure that I get both of my running backs, all three of my receivers, then I'm going to take my tight end, then I'm going to take my flex. It's less about putting people in those spots immediately and more about saying, I can score probably above the average in these first few weeks of the season. I'm going to leave a hole and I'm going to figure it out among these first few weeks. So moving on from specific draft strategies and theoretical ways to build your team, we're going to get more into the tactic side of things. Now, a tactic is something that's very similar to a tip. It's basically a one-sentence one-liner of advice that you should be keeping in mind whenever you're doing your draft. The difference is tips make sense when I say them. Tactics, they generally don't. It goes against a lot of very traditional um, fantasy redraft principles, and for that reason, it's hard to shake, right? So when I tell you that you need to decrease the value of rookies in your drafts by one or two rounds, it, it's going to look weird seeing someone who's ranked 44th dropping a long ways and you being at, you know, pick 50. You're like, oh, the value's too good. I got to get them. And that's the difference between a tactic and a tip. You don't want to listen to a tactic, but you do really need to. The first tactic, I already alluded to it. I may as well make it my first tactic, is you want to decrease the value of a rookie in your draft by, I say, one or two rounds, unless you're looking at a guy who's like, B. John Robinson going at the very top. Like, obviously, you're not going to decrease him all the way to the third round. But the rookie discount is a very real thing in guillotine leagues. It's something that you need to be smarter than the, the rest of your league in, the auto-draft system. The value of a rookie in a guillotine league is way lower than they are anywhere else. The reason that we love drafting rookie wide receivers and running backs is because they have enormous potential. They have enormous upside, and they almost never are going to hit that in the first month of the season. The only people who we've really seen do that just immediately as a rookie shoot out like a cannon are guys like Saquon Barkley, who did it by just existing and having Eli Manning check the ball down to him, and Jamar Chase. And I'll, I'll explain why the Jamar Chase example is very fluky in just a second. But the rookies, like, everyone wants to have that explosive guy, that guy who you get in the mid-rounds of your draft, who by the end of the season, you love him, he's your best player by the end of the season is a lot harder to reach in a guillotine league. If you are wasting, I don't want to say wasting, they're still dudes, but if you're spending your mid 
or even early round picks on guys that are going to be way better later in the season than they are right now, you are fundamentally misunderstanding the point of a guillotine league, especially the guillotine draft. The goal is not draft the team that you're going to have at the end of the season. There is so much turnover throughout this league, it'll never happen. My my whole team last year, I had one player on it that I drafted because you have to be making constant moves. The idea isn't, this guy's going to be great at the end of the year. The idea has to be, this guy is going to be great right now. Rookies tend not to be, right? You know that. You know there's lots of logic, evidence behind it. I mean, God, we're, we're talking about guys who just got out of college playing a sport against grown men who have been doing it for a long time. These, guys, these rookies are guys who have been working and playing football nonstop for the last 13 or 14 months. Like, they've got to prepare for college. They've got their college season. They've got to prepare for the draft. Once the draft's over, it's rookie minicamp. Then it's regular minicamp. Then it's preseason. It is constant. And it is really hard to keep going for that long. And for them to start playing football against a bunch of veterans who are fresh off a lot of rest, they tend not to get off to a super hot start. Now, I said earlier that Jamar Chase is kind of an outlier. He started super hot. But a big part of the reason he started super hot is because A, he played with his quarterback in college, and B, he didn't play a single snap of college football the year before. He was able to rest. He was able to make sure that his body was right. And that's a huge part of why he got off to such a hot start. There's no one like that in this class. Don't buy into the, oh, they might be an absolute league winner by the time we get to week eight or nine. You're not going to be here in week eight or nine if you're not drafting guys that are going to help you win now. Um, another important tactic that I want to highlight, you want to prioritize a good quarterback. Uh, you want to draft your quarterbacks higher. They should all be pushed up in a guillotine format. A lot of people in the fantasy industry like to say, and for good reason, that you can wait on quarterbacks. The guys that you can get off the waiver wire are not that different from the guys who you're taking at the very beginning of your draft. Um, they're totally right about that. In a regular fantasy league, um, when you have a draft, I say, I, I use this phrase a lot, when you're drafting against 17 other dudes, the difference between the guy that you're taking at the very end of the draft versus the guy that you're taking at the very end of a draft in like a 10 or 12 team league is enormous. There are 15 or 16 really good quarterbacks in the league, or at least functional quarterbacks in the league. But there's not 18, there's not 20 of them. You don't want to be the guy rolling out Baker Mayfield or Matthew Stafford week one. That is a recipe for disaster. And so having the elite quarterback is also giving your team an elite floor. The, the other half of the argument for wanting to get a quarterback late is because if he sucks, you can get a new one in regular fantasy. And you can. It's pretty easy. It's not quite as easy in guillotine. And you're also, you're not playing for the upside, right? You're playing for safety. The safest pick that you can make is going to be a quarterback. If you have an option between 
a running back and a quarterback at the top of a draft board, the pretty clear option should be a quarterback. It is really hard to get eliminated when you have a top five or top eight quarterback on your roster. Another tactic that goes against not necessarily traditional fantasy logic, but just what people want to do is you don't want to draft a player um, who's on your team. And I, I say this for a couple of reasons. The main reason isn't that I don't trust you to overdraft your favorite player from your, fra- from your favorite team. I, you know better than to do that. The main reason I say this, though, is because if we are talking about your favorite player on your favorite team, the worst possible situation for you is it coming down to a Monday night football game and you need that player on your team to absolutely go off and then your team shits the bed. Not only are you going to be enormously sad that your real-life football team shit the bed, but also you're not playing guillotine fantasy football anymore. It's a it's a double-edged sword. You know, if that player goes really well, you feel great about yourself. But we we tend to get very hurt in fantasy football, and it's going to hurt a whole lot more um, when it's when it's your favorite player who's doing that to you. Um, also, in that vein, definitely don't start your favorite team's defense for the same reason. Just because if it's one player that messes up, maybe you can still win. If your whole defense does really bad, not only are you in terrible shape in your guillotine league, but your team definitely lost that game if the team defense has a negative point total on there. Second to last tactic is the touch touchdowns are fluky. And that's something you've got to remember. I, I can't tell you how many drafts I've been in where someone makes a pick like Dalvin Cook a couple of years ago. I was like, I, I asked my friend Travis. I was like, Travis, why are we taking Dalvin Cook this high? He was like, that dude scored so many touchdowns last year. It's great. And, you know, he's right. Touchdowns are great. And touchdowns, they vary a little bit from season to season. But if, but this is less about touchdown variance because some dudes are just really good touchdown scores and more about you're not scoring a touchdown every week if if the guys who you're drafting and relying on in your starting lineup are big touchdown scorers you're opening yourself up to a lot of variance throughout the season and that's not something you want the difference between a really good tight end performance and a really bad tight end performance, for example, is often just, did he trip and fall into the end zone? And that's a really fluky thing to predict. I mean, that's that's 50% of a mediocre to bad tight end's points. If the idea is, I'm going to draft Pat Fryermuth or Robert Tanyan was a great example of this a couple of years ago. Robert Tanyan caught like 12 touchdown passes, I want to say. Even in a season where a dude catches 12 touchdown passes, he's going to have several weeks where because he's not super involved in the offense outside of the red zone, he doesn't have a big target share, he's going to go for like two catches and 15 yards. And performances like that are what can absolutely derail your season and dunk you in the drain. 
because you know what we'll get to the because for the next tactic but the general principle don't draft for touchdowns even if you're right even if the dude scores a ton of touchdowns if that's where he's getting a lot of his production there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to let you down to draft for yards um and now for the final tactic the most important tactic um, that i kind of alluded to in that last one and it's going to be a theme um, in this next episode in part two also you want to draft low variance players high and you want to draft high variance players late what that means is the first four or five players that you put on your team you you don't want to be trying to be smarter than everyone else don't try to be smarter than the experts don't try to be smarter than your league mates don't try to shoot for the moon with those guys you need to be consistent you need to trust the guys that you're drafting and say you know what the odds of this guy having an absolute terrible first month of the season are pretty low he's gonna get a lot of work and i'm confident in that the high variance players who are guys around the guys like jameer gibbs guys like calvin ridley who are in a new situation guys like garrett wilson who's got a new quarterback who we have no idea what's actually going to happen with them don't get me wrong they could be incredible they could also be a turd and if you've got thirds on your team you're in trouble high variance is really it's really strong and powerful for your team whenever you're getting that high variance late and that's the second part of this you want to have your low variance and safe players on your team early and that's and once you've got a good handful of guys that you're comfortable with and you know that you've got a floor that's when you start shooting for your high variance high upside plays um, one of my absolute favorite players to be taking in the guillotine league right now is gabe davis for a lot of reasons i mean one friendship strategy and i love stefan Diggs. i've got him on a lot of teams already two that dude has a lot of different outcomes i mean we've seen him go for 200 yards and four touchdowns in the afc championship game i've also seen a lot of games where he doesn't catch a pass period it just doesn't happen he is the perfect example of a late high variance player who you can put on your team if you have some safety in your first few picks you can get a high upside guy and you can feel very confident even if he has no floor because of the floor that you've already built that's a guy who after a few weeks if he strings together a good few games he's got a really really high trade value you can liquidate him you can get a whole lot of other holes on your team covered because you have the high variance player who's been who's been doing really well you're not going to get a lot of use out of a low variance player who you're drafting late um there just tends to be no reason to have someone on your bench if they're gonna be safe you don't want to draft a guy who's like you know what i can count on nico collins in the eighth round for about nine to eleven ppr fantasy points per game like you're right you can you can also count on gabe davis to either give you four fantasy points per game or like 30. 
And because you're not taking these guys super early, because you already drafted your low variance, very high floor, low risk players early, you can take those shots late. And when you take a shot late, the value is way higher if they hit. Like if, if you take a high variance player in the second round, it's like you drafted him 20th overall and he becomes super good. Awesome. The value is like one round. If you get a guy in the eighth round with really high variance and then he goes off, then he's like, maybe he, he should have been a fourth round player. The value that you're getting there is way better. I'll stop rambling on my, on that tactic, but that is easily the most important tactic. Every time you sit down in a draft, you take your safe players early, that includes a quarterback, and you take your shots for the moon on guys much, much later. And finally, we're going to get into our 10 tips to be keeping in mind in your guillotine draft. These are going to be a lot simpler. These shouldn't require nearly as much explanation, and hopefully some of them are already kind of obvious. So we're going to get into the first one that is hopefully kind of obvious. It's don't buy the injury dip. Tip number one, don't buy the injury dip. It exists for a reason. And that reason is smart people who have paid attention to what's gone on in the NFL season or off season, know when a player is injured. And dumb people don't know when a player is injured. And so the dumb people say, oh my God, Look at, look at Alvin Kamara. He's all the way down here in round six of my guillotine league. I, I've got to draft him. And doesn't know that Alvin Kamara is going to be spending the first three weeks of the season on the bench. Um, and yeah, I may as well also call it the suspension dip because I, I picked Alvin Kamara, who's not actually injured. But you get the point. Don't draft the people who are missing the first few weeks of the season. They're not going to score points for you. There is no way they are a better draft pick than people who are going to be scoring points for you in week one, two, and three. Tip number two, uh, tip number two relates to stacks. If you don't know what a stack is in fantasy football, it's becoming more and more popular. It's when you draft a really high-end quarterback, and then you also draft his top wide receiver. Uh, a Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs stack is a super popular one that we see a lot in guillotine. Um, we very strongly recommend avoiding a stack like that. Stacks are really good when it comes to matchup-based fantasy football or DFS tournaments, daily fantasy sports tournaments, where you are trying to score a crazy stupid high amount of points. Whereas in a guillotine league, there tends to be no reward for scoring the most points in a given week. There just is a pretty massive punishment. Uh, for scoring the lowest amount of points in a given week. So tying really um, really valuable assets of your team together like that is dangerous. It's not good for weekly consistency. It goes back to high variance picks that we talked about in the tactics section. You don't want to have high variance like that at the top of your lineup. And for that reason, we very strongly recommend um, that you avoid stacking your players so for tip number three we're in a sort of we're in a similar vein here of avoiding guys who are on the same team but we're looking at a different position group and we're looking at a different reason for it tip number three is to avoid running back wide receiver combos or even running back quarterback combos 
from the same team. Um, the logic behind this is especially early in the draft you want to avoid this because it is very rare for a team to have a good rushing performance and a good passing performance in the same game. And for that reason, it makes it really hard for you to say that you're confident in both of these players going into a game. Uh, the, the difference between running back wide receiver combo being bad and wide receiver wide receiver combo being good is that it's pretty rare on a team with two good wide receivers for both of those wide receivers to have a down game or outright suck. Um, there are a lot of instances and a lot of ways that a team with a good running back and a good wide receiver that both of those guys can kind of fall off the face of the earth for a game. Um, and, and that comes a lot from when there's another wide receiver or maybe another tight end in the mix that's just taking a lot of the passing game production and then the game gets away from the running back. That's a game script that we see happen pretty, pretty commonly. And so the risk of having a running back and a wide receiver from the same team is it becomes way, way higher. It just gives you more ways to absolutely lose and you know, get kicked out of the league in context of that. You don't want to have more ways and more scenarios where you can get kicked out of a guillotine league. You want to have less scenarios where you can lose and get kicked out of a guillotine league. So for that reason, it's a pretty strong avoid whenever you have, if you're going to invest in the Bengals passing game, for example, that's fine. That's great. They're a great passing game. Don't invest in Joe Mixon. And the same thing goes both ways. Tip number four is um, we've already touched on how much I hate rookies. Genuinely, rookies are terrible. Um, I kid, but I also don't. Uh, tip number four is don't draft long-term rookies with your last three or four picks. Um, and first of all, I, I do understand that like not every rookie pick is going to suck for guillotine formats, but at the end of the day, most rookies that are taken in fantasy drafts don't start producing or returning on their investment for five or six weeks at least into the season. And you don't have that kind of time. But you might be sitting there and you might say, well, what if I just stash them on my bench for a long time? That's also a bad move. Um, you don't want to have an immobile bench like with your last three to four picks, you don't want to be trying to stash guys who need a long time to ramp up. You want to be drafting guys who you take one look at and say, all right, this guy's either staying on my team or he's off. It takes a really long time for those rookie wide receiver, uh, those wide receiver and running back rookie picks to hit and for you to feel confident in starting them. And in all that time that you spent waiting, you could have had a much more fluid and mobile roster. And this ties in really well to tip number five, which is when you get to the end of your draft, you want to draft players that you would feel no shame or remorse in cutting. You, you don't want to have guys who were like, like the Justin Jeffersons back in 2021, where it's like, 
You draft him, you hold him for three weeks, and then he explodes. And if you cut him, then you feel like fucking an idiot. You want to draft guys like Paris Campbell, where it's like, okay, this guy's either going to be running a lot of routes for the Giants, he's going to be getting a lot of looks from Daniel Jones, or he's not seeing the field at all. Great, I can cut him. This is something that I tend to stick for in regular redraft leagues as well, but it's way more important in guillotine formats, and here's why. Not only are the weeks one and two waiver wires really juicy just because all the players who slip through the cracks are starting to make their appearances and people are starting to try and pick them up, but also whenever you have your guillotine draft, you don't have a perfect roster. There is always holes that need filling, and every week there's going to be an entire team worth of players who can fill the holes on your roster. You want to have players at the end of your bench that you feel absolutely no remorse in cutting when it comes to adding guys who can help plug those holes, and then the guys who are in those roster spots. They're still on your team. They still have trade value. You can send them to someone else, but if you're going to hamstring yourself by taking a long-term pick in your last three or four rounds, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. It is going to lead to less mobility, and mobility is the name of the game. It's not actually. Guillotine is the name of the game, but I digress. Tip number six really builds off this idea of roster mobility being very valuable. Tip number six is draft your defense early and draft your kicker with your last pick. Um, the reason behind this is it's a lot easier to project what defenses are going to perform well in week one than it is to project what kickers are going to perform well. Kickers, as we all know, are very fluky. Like, you can't even say that they're game script dependent because sometimes someone just breaks a run and it's like, well, we were, you know, we were looking at a third and long. We had a, from from midfield, and then a huge play happens and you score, and instead of having an opportunity to kick a 50-yard field goal, they're kicking an extra point. They have very little control over that. No one knows when or where that's going to happen. And so for that reason, you tend to want to deprioritize kickers. Conversely, you want to prioritize a defense. You want to have them early because you know, or at least you have a decent idea of what offenses are going to suck. You know the Arizona Cardinals with no Kyler Murray are probably going to be bad. You know that anyone who's starting a rookie quarterback week one, they're, they're probably going to throw a pick or two. Those are the defenses that you want to target early. You're not trying to draft the 2019 New England Patriots that just become absolute world beaters and you never cut the defense. You know, you're, you're going to be cycling through your defenses. That's okay. That's normal. But it's really important to make sure that you're confident your defense isn't going to give you a goose egg or some God forbid, some negative points in week one. Um, the reason, though, that kickers are so not valuable for Guillotine League has less to do with week one and more about the roster mobility philosophy. So whenever I'm playing, I I do this. It's something I recommend to everyone. You're... Every week there's going to be a lot of players on the waiver wire who you are interested in. You want to put sensible bids on these players. 
you don't know which of those bids is going to go through. And I mean, ideally all of them go through, but, and so you don't want to tie those bids to the same player because if both of them would hit, but the bids are assigned to drop the same player from your roster, then only one of those is actually going to go through. A very expendable piece of your roster is your kicker. You can set it up to where, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to add Patrick Mahomes for 8% of my budget. And I'm going to try to add someone else and for, you know, the, the exact total doesn't matter. But I drop on that other priority, I drop the bottom player on my bench. And then waivers roll over. I get both of the values that I'm really happy with. I dropped the bottom player on my bench and I dropped my kicker and I go, awesome. Now I've got what I want. You make some roster moves. You pick up a kicker Sunday morning, Saturday night, and it doesn't matter. You don't know what kickers are going to be good and bad year in and year out, week in and week out. You really don't know. And so tying yourself to a Justin Tucker or a Harrison Butker or someone like that, it makes it a lot harder for you to be okay with cutting them. And because of that, it means that you're going to have a much less mobile and fluid roster. And if you're trying to win, you have to be willing to make lots and lots of moves and anything that prevents you from making lots and lots of moves, I'm going to tell you is probably a bad idea. Tip number seven, we've got don't draft a player that doesn't fit into your lineup over a player who does. Um, I want to go ahead and exclude tight ends and kickers from this for kind of obvious reasons. I just went over why kickers should be excluded from this. Um, tight ends, tight ends basically all suck. Um, it's just a question of, are you going to draft a player who sucks with your, you know, ninth pick? Or are you going to draft a player who sucks with your 14th pick? You know, I, I'd rather do it with my 14th pick to each of their own, but that's what I'll definitely recommend. Um, but the idea of not drafting a player that doesn't fit into your lineup is pretty simply, it's hard to trade a guy in week one or before week one starts because after the draft, everyone is pretty excited about their team. They want to see who hits. They're not willing to trade away a player on their team because they're like, no, I, I think this guy's going to be really good this year. After he does really good week one, you know, he's, he's going to be worth so much more than what you're offering me. And so if you take four running backs before you've taken your third wide receiver, you are seriously hurting your chances to make it out of week one alive because the high the high profile draft capital that you just spent on that fourth round on that fourth running back could have been someone who's scoring points for you week one. It's the same reason you don't buy the injury dip. It's the same reason you don't draft rookies. If they're not scoring points for you in week one, they are less important than someone who is. Tip number eight um, works really hand-in-hand hand with don't draft the player who doesn't fit in your lineup. It's fill your flex last, or at least plan to fill your flex last. So the reason it's a flex is because, I'm going to say something crazy here, it's flexible. You want to be flexible during your draft, and because of that, you don't want to remove the ability to be flexible from your team. I strongly recommend waiting to fill your flex 
until either your last skill position player or until there's a value you absolutely can't pass up. I think a lot of the reasons that people draft a player that can't fit into their starting lineup is because the value is just too good. And it's like, I, I really, and I do understand not being able to pass up on certain players. That's why the fill your flex last rule exists. It's so when that really good value comes around, you're not going to be sad. They're like, fuck, I, it's a waste of a pick. I can't get anything out of them. So. Don't draft a player that doesn't fit in your lineup, tip number six. And the way that you can avoid drafting a player who doesn't fit in your lineup is tip number seven, filling your flex last. That was tip number seven and eight. I can't count. Apologies, listeners. Tip number nine is know your league. Um, this is always very important, or at least a little bit important. You know, you, you should know who you're playing with. If they're your friends, you should know, okay, this guy's definitely going to draft lots of running backs early. So, you know, I've, I've got to keep that in mind whenever the picks are coming between me and him. I better grab him before he does. Stuff like that. You should look at the scoring settings. Always look at the scoring settings, especially for a guillotine league. If you go, oops, I didn't know that it was only half PPR. I just drafted Austin Eckler with my second overall pick. Uh, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be way closer to the chopping block than anyone else in your league just because, what, because you didn't read? Be better. Be smarter. Read. Um, and on, on the reading notes, to, to wrap up tip number nine, look at the roster settings. Don't be the guy who drafts three running backs early and then checks the rosters and goes, oh my god, I have to start three wide receivers. We had someone do that. I had someone do that last year. They um, lost handily and quickly. So, read the scoring, read the roster settings, um, and know who you're drafting against. And the 10th pick, final pick, that is also a pretty important draft tip, don't auto-draft. There's no reason for you to auto-draft. Now, if, if you're sat here and you're still listening to this episode, I think you're probably too committed to fantasy football to ever auto-draft, and I salute you for it. But at the same time, when it gets to the end of the draft, the, the auto-draft will find a way to put players on your team who I have expressly told you to never put on your team. If you go pee and it's almost your turn, you better bring that phone with you or else you're going to end up with Kyler Murray and Alvin Kamara on your team in, with your round six and seven picks, and you're going to lose week one. I guarantee it. Always take your phone with you when you piss. Never auto-draft. Don't be that. And with that, I'll go ahead and wrap up. Thank you all very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. Um, do remember that today's episode was sponsored by the like button, slash the follow button, slash the five-star review button, slash any other button that you can press uh, to interact with the podcast. We appreciate it greatly. It helps us grow here on the channel. Um, part two is going to be, like I said, it's going to be player-focused. It should be out by the beginning of next week. We hope you have really enjoyed our talk about strategies, tactics, and tips, and I'll talk to you next time.